I firmly believe in our firm is based on this idea that it's revenue first. I mean, there just simply is no other thing to focus on. This organization exists to generate revenue within the bounds of high integrity, within the bounds of vision and mission. I mean, don't do shady, awful things to get revenue. Welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. Join your host, Dots Oyobulu, as he learns from CMOs, agency leaders, and business leaders about the state of performance marketing, plus insights on strategies, campaigns, and intelligence for commercial impact. Connect the dots and enjoy the latest episode. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com. Hi, marketers. This is Dots, and welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast. With me here is David Ledgerwood, Managing Partner at One Zero, and we will be talking about don't walk alone, the marketing and sales revenue loop. I know you guys are ready, so let's get it. Hey, Ledge, how are you doing? It's good to be here, Dodds. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, I'm so excited having you, you know, join this podcast and also having this episode. And if you look at the title there, it's kind of like a cheeky reference to the Liverpool Football Club, where they say they will never walk alone. So I digress. <laughs> yeah, so... As we start here, could you please tell us a little bit about your role, you know, yourself and your background? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm getting old enough now. I'll just leave the beginning of the resume off. But some 15 years ago, I started out on my entrepreneurial journey and I am specifically interested in, I do B2B services companies. So it's really interesting to me. I work on consultancies and agencies, professional services, stuff like that. And along the way, I discovered that when you hire a bunch of people and you really just wanted to be a practitioner, turns out that everybody expects you to pay them. And therefore, you as the owner often get stuck you know, in the sales seat. So I had to learn sales because it turns out that you have to make payroll every other Friday, which is a terrible shock. It also turns out that marketing becomes important. So... At any rate, I had to jump in the sales seat and I didn't know anything about it. I hadn't read any books, done any training, anything like that. So I just had to kind of grok sales pretty quickly. And after some of my initial adventures, I started taking on actual sales roles for B2B services and technology companies. And over the course of that, work, I came to have some pretty aggressive opinions and thoughts about ways that that should be done. Now people call a lot of those things, you know, rev ops and sales enablement and sales ops. And I just found that particularly in small firms, you couldn't really rely on the budget necessary. Even if you're a VP of sales right out a company that's doing half million, million dollars of service sales, you just don't have the administrative support. But I thought that was necessary because you want to keep somebody like me, you know, the sales rep or somebody who's the outward facing, customer facing AE, you want to have them on calls. And how do you maximize having them all the time on Zoom or on phone calls, mostly Zoom? Years ago, I started doing video calls before anybody you know, thought that was a thing and selling remotely. 
So then after some of those adventures ended, I wanted to make a company where we could help founders like I was get out of that sales seat, but also afford and be able to fractionally implement total revenue and sales solutions. So we did that and it's called Ad One Zero because we specialize in taking that sort of half million dollar B2B services firm, agency, consultancy, and grow them up and add them on zero at the end of that number. So you get that revenue up to that 5 million type of point. And so far, so good. We've been doing that for over three years now, and we've generated some $5 million of net new sales for these small services firms. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah. I honestly personally think that you don't deserve enough recognition for what you do. Because I have seen the kind of things you do. I have seen the kind of, like, I call you the revenue magician. You know, like, you are able to reach out to these big logos where there are probably millions of salespeople in the world today. And you are one of the best. And my question is, how do you manage to do this at a fractional level? I guess you're helping a lot of companies at the same time. And how do you really get that? You know, like, it's so efficient. I'm impressed. Yeah, well. First of all, thank you for the compliment. I don't know if it's as much magician as just doing it wrong so many times that eventually when you pile up enough mistakes, it looks like wisdom when you recognize them ahead of time. So I do appreciate the compliment and it's true, you know, so actually at this particular time, I am the guy on Zoom calls for four different companies on a pretty regular basis. We built all kinds of operational hacks or I'll call them solutions now. They were hacks originally, but they're pretty good. And so we have all kinds of color coding and Chrome profiles and zaps flashing all over the place to make calendars do stuff that they weren't designed to do. I was talking off mic about my home setup is I got a 55 inch 4K TV for my monitor. And at any given time, there's like six different Chrome profiles open. And I don't know. I guess you have to be a little bit of a chameleon because, you know, whatever call I'm getting on next, I have to kind of go like, okay, what company is this? What persona am I? We have a very sort of tight agenda process where everything that I'm going to do is in one spot. And I can kind of go, who am I talking to next? Look at their LinkedIn, look at their company. And I got to grok that in like five minutes before a call. Admittedly, once in a while, I end up jammed into a call and I have no idea who I'm talking to, and I still have to figure out how to make it sound like I do know. You know, so if there's any sleight of hand, I suppose it's some of that stuff. But yeah, I don't know, man. Like I said, I never really studied a whole bunch of sales stuff. So I'm blessed that it comes naturally to apparently get people to like talking to me and talk about doing big deals. And if anything, it's like I realized a long time ago, like the confidence to talk about big numbers you know, kind of comes along with that experience of doing thousands and thousands of calls. And we have, you know, as a company, quite literally done that, you know, thousands and thousands of Zoom calls. We have nearly like a terabyte of recorded Zoom conversations. And we work really hard to annotate and understand the insights from the customer so we can pass that up. And that gets to that revenue and sales loop that you're talking about. You know, it's an iterative process up and down the funnel to really deliver that sales intel large companies solve that with tools like gong and chorus and stuff like that where you can use ai to try to mine 
you know, hundreds of calls that are happening from that like sort of bullpen sales type of approach where you actually need to coach and all those things. In our case, it's different because we want to draw intel from like every one of those conversations. Like in most cases, for the size of business we're talking about, I'm the only person that talks to that prospect, right? Ever. And so if we can record and annotate and deliver the intelligence from that, we can actually show marketing, you know, look, here are the content prompts. Like here are the actual questions that were being asked. Here are the needs being expressed by those prospects when they get on calls. And let's turn those into content prompts. Let's turn those into performance marketing, you know, media drivers. And in addition to that, let's develop mid-funnel sales enablement materials that really drive home those messages that will help us make the close for big companies. And I should also say that, I mean, yes, it's been awesome that I can talk to big companies and get deals done, but you in the marketing seat, I mean, you know that like calls don't happen unless marketing does the job that it's supposed to do and presents all those things in the right way and drives in those leads. So it's also awesome for us in the sales seat to, it's not like I'm cold calling these people, you know, that we have inbound demand and that I can get to be an inside sales expert, like you said, team effort. Yeah. And I think something now our listeners would appreciate knowing is that Ledge is salesperson with a difference. Not many salespeople, you know, add insights to what they do, market research. They say, yeah, it's for marketing. But what Ledge does and why I'm excited to get him here on this podcast is that going forward as we go on here, it's going to be sharing some actionable insights because that's what it's all about. And that's, I personally think is the X factor. And if you're here listening and you are, you know, tied to sales in some way, I think it's important to add that element of marketing side. You need to know your markets. You need to know the macro side. You need to know the micro side. You need to be able to proactively communicate these ideas to other members of the company, which is something like I noticed, I've met Lenge, that that's kind of what it does. Again, which is also another compliment. So we will stop with the compliments, Lenge. You know, I just come on here to get adoration. So (laughs) it's really worth it. So yeah, you've already started off with the topic there, you know, in terms of marketing, creating the demand. And I think our problem right now as marketers is, you know, what people, some strategies call the one-click stamp. So they just say, oh, mine is just to deliver the awareness. I have no business with everything else. I don't want to put myself in some sort of a risk or a danger on the spot. I just want to do my thing. I don't care if it helps the company grow or not. And which is why a big chunk of B2B marketers are focused on just the top line results. Yeah. And they are just so scared about, you know, getting into the bottom line and delivering real value. And, you know, before we get into the solutions here, could you give us some insights on why some marketers might be thinking in that way? Well, I know that there's, you know, there's a lot of literature about like, and again, I'm an expert in small companies, but what I can see is some of those behaviors that have been developed in large company marketing is that we've separated, at least historically, there's been a lot of separation between marketing and sales and even, you know, sort of a budding of heads, right? Like as if we're not all working towards revenue. So the first thing I would say is like, I firmly believe in our firm is based on this idea that it's revenue first. I mean, there just simply is no other thing to focus on. This organization exists to generate revenue 
within the bounds of high integrity, within the bounds of vision and mission. I mean, don't do shady, awful things to get revenue. But ultimately, like this machine only runs because we have the fuel of revenue, you know, coming into it. And in addition, as a business grows, like the cheapest form of financing and capital is going to be revenue from your customers and particularly retention and upsells and cross sells and, you know, things of that nature. So it behooves everybody to think about that one revenue system. I'm still a fan of the old funnel methodology. I know some people like to turn it on its side and talk about customer journey and there's all these things, whatever it is, I don't care how you draw it. But I like that metaphor of kind of like at what stage in this funnel journey, et cetera, are we and what kind of information is most helpful there to work together to generate? Because ultimately it's really expensive to have a guy or girl like me on a Zoom call. I mean, it's a one-to-one connection and it's important to drive the right ones into that one-to-one connection. So there's a lot of qualification, there's a lot of education, and I'm really adamant about helping marketing make those calls better because call-to-close ratio goes up not only because you're taking lots of calls and closing lots, but how about let's close a greater percentage of the right calls? And in that case, we can all work together to drive greater education to the top of the funnel why would I want to do that? Because marketers like you, they can reach thousands of people at the same time with a message that's going to get asked or a question that's going to get asked over and over again on those one-to-one calls. If I can make those more about getting to know the customer and less about them having to ask a bunch of questions of me, I want to educate them as much as possible at scale. Now, how do I do that? I make better calls happen because I could take the intelligence from each of those calls and feed it back up in a relevant way. I could say, I know that 25% of all prospects are going to ask this question. Therefore, that's a marketing content prompt that's very important because now I don't need to answer that question again and again. And so the greater education that we give top of funnel early in the journey, early in the experience, And that's what customers want anyway, from a B2B standpoint. We now know that some 87% or some stat, you know, people don't want to talk to the sales guy. They probably don't want to have that burden of calls. So we try to give as much information as possible to help people qualify in or out. And then we can talk about their specific needs when that call happens. So, I mean, it just simply has to be that way. And I'm concerned that businesses don't think about it that way because marketers, they don't just want that one click, right? Or they shouldn't. I mean, performance marketing ought to be measured, I believe, around like shared revenue goals. I mean, are we or are we not driving the right people in to have conversations at the right time? And that goes into that long form demand gen too, or long firm demand gen, right? Like there's a very tiny percentage of people that want what we do right now and have the possibility of finding and clicking on that thing right now. That's performance. But 95% of that's going to be, you know, demand gen. And I've had guests on my own podcast talking about that. And for a while, I think we got lazy with data-driven marketing and we all hammered on 5%. Like, let's get that immediate intent data. Like somebody's shopping right now and they need our thing. 
turns out that 95% of the people don't need the thing right now, but they do respond to being made aware of our brand. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, after each point with my guests, I often try to share some lessons with my listeners and a lot to unpack here. First, Ledge, my thoughts generally is, honestly, if you're an enterprise, you should run as a startup. That is what I think. I think the fact that companies like GE are doing very well online, digital marketing, despite being a core B2B company, you know, with some B2P, B2C, is just because they call themselves the 100 plus year old startup. And I think it's not just a statement. I think it's just the way it runs. I think enterprises should, you know, we had this discussion offline, enterprises should run almost like with a startup mentality. And what am I saying with that? It's not all about, yeah, there is that performance side with the figures and things like that. But I had a previous conversation with Brian Kramer, the H2H father, and he said the most important KPI is engagement. And that's kind of what you just said here. Like you communicating with marketing to say, see, you know, marketing still through our conversations with prospects, they are asking for so-and-so. Would it not be important to add that to your messaging? You know, add that to the decision-making funnel that you guys are working with. That is some collaboration there. And I think due to what sales is doing, marketing or marketers should also be able to reciprocate that by asking sales, you know, what's the quality of the leads being generated? What are some of the signals that are bringing in these leads? What are the conversion criteria like? At what terms are they converting? What are some of the other channels of through which they convert? And so on and so forth. So that top to bottom collaboration is very important. You know, I will repeat again, listeners, if you want to deliver great commercial value that is not only going to grow your career, but it's also going to grow the company you work with, it's important to not just sit on the lane of marketing. You have to work with marketing and sales and have sales work with you so that you guys can continually exchange proactive insights as to consumer behavior at the top funnel, consumer behavior at the bottom funnel. And, you know, it's just a continuous process of optimizing and iterating and making sure the process is well oiled. So I just wanted to break that remark there. Moving on to the next question, Ledge. For some of us who are already, like, getting comfortable with everything we've said so far, I think sometimes... The biggest challenge is the friction itself. And I think you've mentioned, we've spoken a bit about that already, the friction between marketing and sales. So what are some of your top three ideas on, you know, how marketers, especially performance marketers, can better collaborate without friction? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, right? And you could see where organizational friction comes from between any functions that are set up with different I don't know, maybe different incentive structures, you know? So I think the biggest thing is for leadership to be able to kind of go, listen, you know, these are the two or three core things that we're going for and everybody is going to be measured on that. So one of the mistakes that can be made is marketing's measured by how many MQLs you generate and sales is measured by how many closes or revenue you generate. Well, like those things are in opposition because sales gets a bunch of MQLs. So marketing said that these were good. And this is the old like, hey, somebody attended a webinar or somebody downloaded a white paper where well, they must be hot to go. And in fact, that's just simply not the case, right? So the idea that 
somebody shows a tiny amount of intent and then isn't somehow validated as a lead, you know, I think that we can do better with that. So the first thing is align those incentive structures. And then in tandem with that, at least align on the overall, you know, objective and mission and vision. And you might have KRs or KPIs or whatever those things are. But so why are we here? What are we trying to make more of? What are the growth objectives? Are they well aligned? And again, I work with a lot of small companies. And so people, you know, will often come and go like, well, let's do sales projections and goals and kind of all those things. And I just go, no, we're not going to do that. You know what my goal is? Like my goal is to close 100% of all the money that exists on the whole planet. I'm going to fail wildly at doing that, but let's work together to maximize, you know, as much as we can. So in a small company context, and I imagine to some extent budgeting is well out of the realm of the frontline sales and marketing folks. In many cases, like we invent projections for sales or sales goals in order to hit how much money we wanted to spend later on, right? It's the backwards process. Maybe the market can't even support that. And third thing, I think that, you know, sales should be at the table and thinking a lot more about, you know, you could have your classic four P's of marketing, right? Like you can't have stuff delegated down and saying, just sell this at this price position it this way. I see tech companies do this all the time. Like we wildly overstaff marketing and marketing comes with a product launch. And here's the 87 page deck on how to sell this product with nine point font. And it's just like completely ridiculous. And, you know, sort of dictating to this is how you will sell this thing to all the people who show up calls, we just like robbed the ability of that salesperson to do anything because you just sound like a robot. Like I don't even believe in sales decks. I want very distinct specialized pieces with visual and data support that I can pull up as necessary on a call. And in a lot of calls, I won't even share a screen because I'm listening and I'm thinking about what's going to happen next. And I want to enter that intelligence processing zone. And then I want to collaborate with my marketing friends and my sales enablement friends and kind of go, listen, why don't we work together to close this deal? Here's the material support that I need to get that done. And then we can all celebrate together. So I don't know. It's like, what are the top ways to collaborate, well, you know, start talking, ask questions. You know, like I, as a sales leader, I need to go, tell me how we deliver this thing. Okay, cool. Now that's the internal view of that. I need to reconstruct that into customer first language because prospects want to see under the hood, but they don't want to see under the hood in the way that internally operating people think about it. They want to say like, what's in it for me, right? So like, I think you just need to go about it with a willingness to collaborate and just not discount. Like I respect marketers because you need to speak in aggregate to all the potential people by creating this sort of persona or ICP that is the average, right? The normalized version of what that person might look like. 
And in, in tandem with that, I need the respect of marketing to go literally zero of the people who show up on a one-to-one call with me are a perfect match for that average ICP that doesn't exist because they're all indistinct people, right? And so it's just a willingness, you know? I appreciate that firms run into this. The larger you get, the more you have to separate functions and you need to specialize. And it's always going to apply that pressure unless you kind of acknowledge that pressure and then align the incentives around at least trying to mitigate us working with opposing forces against each other. Absolutely. And I think it's not just marketing and sales. You know, it's probably different other units as well. Everybody hates sales. Finance hates sales. Marketing hates sales. Like sales is the whipping boy. Like there's, you know, sort of the joke personas are marketing people sit around on whiteboards and like just throw money at ads. And salespeople are just lazy and they put their feet up and they wait for marketing to bring leads and they don't actually do anything. And then finance people are like the nerds with like their pocket protector and they just care about budgets and I mean, ultimately, it's up to leadership, right? To go, hey, we're all here together for one objective. But functions like that are designed to conflict. And if we don't have a meaningful respect framework and culture around what we're doing here together and why it matters, then of course it's going to conflict. And then it shows with, you know, the stereotypes that come out of what people think about the other functions in the company. Yeah. I hope to, you know, write some articles on this episode on my blog. Uh, and the truth is that with all due respect to all marketers, I've been a marketer for 11 years. We need to change our mindset. It's just the way it is. Hey, we just want to make more money. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> if I could challenge the marketers in the audience from the sales seat, I would just say, let's be really deliberate. As in fact, we do have more data than ever. And let's kill off the things that just simply don't have value, you know, and if we can't demonstrate some type of short or long-term ROI, ideally both, you know, some channels just suck for some businesses and you know, stop spending money on it. I agree we should experiment, but we should be agile in the sense of like, what do we expect this experiment to move? Did we see any relevant data suggest that it did move? And was it long enough? Was it not long enough? What is a reasonable timeline or horizon? Like, you know, running a podcast, right? Like people get the wrong idea that like, oh, great. You know, every conversation I have is going to drive in a bunch of leads. No, it won't happen. But you are able to position in demand gen context. And you're probably also, if you're smart about it, able to align with your ABM strategy. So let's get meaningful conversations with the right people who you wanted to have conversations with anyway, thus fueling your demand gen engine. And then let's apply some performance marketing on top of that, which is to say, you're right. I do want an audience to consume that leadership content or thought leadership or brand building content. Cool. So how do we drive that? Like that's a complete picture. And a lot of times I think that just like the way blogs used to be, it's like, if you just throw a website up with a blog, like you're automatically going to dominate SEO. Like those days are over. And I think that we're going to see increasingly rapid change around AI and you know all the things there where 
you know, original content, authentic content becomes harder and harder to stand out because, you know, relationships may become maybe more valuable because everybody's going to be able to generate content for relatively for free. Well, that means like people are actually going to maybe start caring again about talking to individuals because it's the only place that you can have an authentic connection is by talking to that real human that, you know, at least for the time being, like we can't generate, you know, let's showing up on a call and, and looking this great with AI, but like sooner or later, man, and I'm all about this, replicate me, clone me, you know, I hope that fake ledge can close deals, but right now I have to show up and do it. So. Yeah. I think human to human conversations will continue to be very important. And I totally agree with you with many of the things you've said. On the finance part as well, thanks for bringing that up. I'd like to ask a follow-up question on that. So when it comes to formulating strategies, I personally, you know, being a revenue-driven marketer, I think marketing budget should be a function of the client's lifetime value, not just revenue, which makes the budget become a bit expensive. <laughs> so what's your view, you know, from experience working with marketers who are trying to determine what the right budget is for demand gen and how to be able to get the necessary resources based on, you know, quality data to deliver great results for sales and, you know, being able to make cost corrections and so forth and so forth. Yeah. Well, you make an interesting point, right? I mean, you can't jump out at the beginning and say, I'm going to base it on LTV unless you actually have a data-driven organization and everybody is working together to figure out what is LTV of a client and LTV materially changes based on your customer success function, your delivery, your support functions, you know, all those things, right? Like LTV drops like a rock when we churn customers. And therefore it's not just a marketing problem and you want to be able to support across the organization, all those touch points. So if I'm a marketer and I'm thinking about LTV, as my revenue guidepost and my budget guidepost, that's awesome if LTV is good, which means our churn rate needs to go down, which means I really care. And then I would say, basically, if we all thought about LTV, then I want to know what's happening on the delivery side. Like after we bring in a lead and we take it through the customer journey to this point that we signed a contract, I want to be materially focused on how are we retaining and growing that customer account? And typically, marketing has been allowed to kind of back off from that. And you would see some organizations, you know, that move customer support and customer success and things like that, at least into like a hybrid role between delivery and marketing and product marketing and support. You know, it's like you can't touch everything, but you almost need to touch everything. And that's why I do like that overall idea of a revenue first culture that, again, isn't cutthroat about making money at all costs, but is designed to say, let's make good revenue, making good choices together, all of which draws up LTV. And at the same time, there are peaks and valleys in LTV as well, because, you know, you might hold on to a customer for several years and that's awesome. Eventually every customer probably will churn, you know, business 
stuff changes. And that would also materially impact your overall LTV because now the cash cow graduated and that's okay too. So yes, I functionally agree with LTV. And I think that it's a cross enterprise or cross business, you know, sort of mandate to think about how do we grow that LTV, which is by nature growing revenue because we can bring in net new accounts. But I like to skew a business in the sense of revenue mix, right? Like, so how much of our revenue, and it should be a growing portion, comes from existing customers versus net new. Net new. And you want to have that healthy mix there. Yeah, guys, I hope you got that, you know, Having the insights is important. Not being too cultural about the insights is also important. And as I digress here, marketers are facing the challenge of plagiarism these days because they say, I see someone doing this and it's giving him so-and-so clicks, so I'm going to do the same thing. It doesn't work that way. You need to be agile, even with the data, and you should be able to continuously work with sales to get that done. And as a follow-up to that question, what are some of the instances you've seen where you have very great revenue marketers, shameless plug, subscribe to Marketing Leadership Podcast. I'm sure Jay Ledge is going to talk about me in a second. But aside from that, what are some of the instances you've seen of great revenue marketers who have continuously worked with sales in developing as much ROI as possible from a B2B marketing campaign perspective? Marketers who are humble enough to take feedback from sales, for example, have sales head of revenue, or even if it's just the lowest person in the sales chart, sending marketers some marketing idea. You know, how have you seen people who are humble enough to take that idea and test it out instead of saying, oh, what do you guys know about marketing? You have no right to share me stuff. You know, how have you seen people who have really, really collaborated in the way they should to deliver maximum ROI on marketing campaigns? And what are some of the lessons you've seen from such kinds of performance marketing, maybe channel campaigns or demand chain campaigns or strategies? Yeah, yeah. The first thing I'd like some years ago, I started to notice that people were talking about revenue marketing and I made a lot of you know, performance marketing is a tactic, but the objective base of saying that you know, we are doing this in order to drive more revenue. That alone gives you a context to say, okay, we all care about that. You know, so that's good. Or we should all care about that. I mean, if you're ever allowed to sit in a spot where you don't care about revenue, I disagree with that approach. And that's up to leadership to make sure that everybody knows here the thing that we're doing and how it makes money. You know, as if none of us get paid if we don't. Exactly. And so how do you notice good collaboration is, I think that's a hiring and talent issue, right? Like, you know, this is like, how does our hiring and talent acquisition strategy bring in the types of people who have different ideas and have a willingness to collaborate and are not, you know, sort of people who don't want to work with others, right? You know, play nice in the sandbox and realize that we are all brothers keeper, right? Yeah. And so I can't say that I know exactly how to do that. I've personally never been a really good talent acquisition person. I hire people to do that because it's a blind spot of mine. Personally, I've said this on other shows is that 
when you talk to me, I'm finding the best in you and I'm like almost projecting positive attributes on you. And it's also because I hate interviewing and hiring so much that I just want it to be over with. So essentially like, because I'm a closer, right? I'm closing you on working with me because I don't want to deal with this crap. And I tend to hire poorly as a result of that. So I know that I need to surround myself with people that can do that better than me because I'm a talker and I'm going to project positive things on you so I can get you to take the job from me when you probably don't deserve the job. <laughs> so, you know, so I think it's everybody needs to know their strengths, you know, and be able to push back on each other in a way like, I mean, you've seen me work. Like sometimes I'll go like, I don't like that thing. And I'll just tell you and you go, well, well, too bad. That's the way that it is. And here's why I think it's a good idea. And I go, okay, you sound more convicted than me, you know? So like, it's like, Facebook used to say a thing they probably don't anymore, but, you know, strong opinions loosely held, right? Like show up with an idea, defend that idea. And if somebody else is more informed than you and you have no information, don't be aside, you know, don't be afraid to change your mind. And I point out when I see that there's a thing that's not at least following the thing that I think is the right path. And I go but that's not my job. And let me just give you the best intelligence I can possibly do so that you can make good decisions about how to, you know, spend the money. Right. So I don't know, demonstrate like, well, all I can tell you is leads that show up that use a generic hotmail address are generally garbage. And you can say, well, where do most of the hotmail addresses come from? Well, they come from poorly optimized PPC app. So then which keywords on them do they come from? Well, it turns out it has a specific correlation. And these are all exercises that we've gone through together. We can say, well, why are we targeting a thousand different words when in fact, some of those words cost us money and deliver crap? But that takes a lot of work, you know? And I think some people are just so lazy that they don't spend the time and work. And they also have the disposition, unfortunately, that what's well, not my money and I was just told to do this. So, you know, I like to see ownership, obviously, across the functions that we all should care about this. Like, don't just pay the bill for things that are working. If you're the person paying the bill, ask some questions and kind of go, does this make sense or not? I used to be a COO and I worked in a company and I just, you know, ultimately I just said, can I be the one to approve the bills? Because we're just blindly paying the stuff and it turned out like every month there was this $3,000 bill that came in from this telecom provider. And for years, people have been blindly paying this bill. And it's like, what the hell is this? I can't even read this. Like, what is this thing? Well, it turns out it's like a T1 line that's installed into a building that doesn't even exist anymore that we don't do business with. And every month somebody is paying this because nobody took the time to track it down and kind of say, what the hell is this? And turn it off. And I want everybody to have that type of disposition, you know, for the business that, you know, every dollar matters. And we worked really hard for this revenue. Let's not trash it. That makes sense. I like what you said before regarding the hiring process, you know, looking at that sweet spot, the X factor, whether you hire directly or you hire a sales to marketing liaison, you know, if there are such things like that these days, you know, because it almost seems like whether you're in sales or in marketing, there is someone in your team who is liaising one way or the other. But 
I like what you said about that. And I was going to ask that before. I also like what you said about, again, back to the mindset. I think that's probably the biggest lesson from this episode, that the mindset has to be right. Right now, there's a lot of rumors on what's going to happen after 2025 or 2026 when Tim Cook decides not to become the Apple CEO. And among the people that I consider is the CMO. My sentiment is that the reason why he's even considered in the first place is because he's one of the few CEOs that has broken the barrier of, oh, marketing is my lane. But no, I am the marketer with revenue in focus. And if you are an aspiring marketing leader today and you don't have that commercial value focus on the revenue focus or not willing to work with sales, support and operations for some, my main reason, then you shouldn't be too upset if you are not growing as far as you want. That's just the gospel truth about it. If you want to grow in the organization into positions that you'll never believe, even as a CEO or a CEO, from a marketing background, then you need to start thinking about revenue and you need to start, you know, treating marketing campaigns like it's yours, right? You need to invest in this like it's yours and do that collaboration as efficient as possible, as efficient as possible. Yeah, so far, so good. And, you know, I believe that a lot of listeners are converted already or getting really hyped up about this. The last bit before, you know, close here is the tech stack. So at the beginning of the episode, you had given some tips about that, but I would like you to try to flesh that more a little bit on what are the great tech stacks to look at when it comes to tracking as well. You mentioned a little bit about that in the last reply where you talked about the right keywords for PPC campaigns and things like that. So what are some of the other insights in terms of, you know, tracking the right intelligence, CRMs and stuff like that? Sure. Well, I can comment most on, so I'll put the guardrails around, right? So I am an expert in B2B services companies that exist, you know, somewhere between that 500,000 of revenue and 5 million of revenue. I don't know anything about enterprise tech stacks anymore. Thank God left that world behind 15 years ago. So what I can tell you is from my standpoint is, first of all, I like to keep it simple. So I'm a big advocate of like collaborative documentation, things like Confluence, Notion. Like how do we have a collection of really good shared information so that we only have one place that things, you know, kind of exist. I'm a HubSpot fan for, again, this size of business and for the things that we do. HubSpot Sales Pro, super powerful, does what I got to do. I have seen magnificent integrations from the top of the funnel down in HubSpot where, you know, we really know all the attribution and we could pull together all our performance marketing channels. That stuff is great. Also, I'm a big Google workspace. I forget what they call it. G Suite, whatever. The Google thing that they rename all the time. I don't use a lot of fancy tools when it comes to proposals and integrations and all this stuff. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting old school now, but I simply believe that we should not have a design-heavy sales process. Design can live up the funnel. People come to me, they want a deal, they want a very specific, tight description of what they're going to get, and they're just going to turn right to the cost anyway. So I rage against the machine of sort of beautiful proposals that come out of agencies all the time. I don't think anybody cares. And I think the numbers bear that out, particularly on the billion-dollar-plus client side simple PDF that has the right words in it with one logo. And I don't want to draw a bunch of pictures. 
of it and people just want to pay money. But, you know, like we talk about the internal collaboration, right? Obviously, you got your collaborative documentation, Google Docs, knowledge bases, things like Airtable. You know, you get that scrappy stack. Integrate, I'm a big fan of Slack, pay for the Slack features, use VoIP dialers. Text messaging is huge in my sales process. So I do a lot of really big deal mitigation. With texting, people hate email now. So you know, pick a tool that has really good text messaging, you know, because I mean, quite honestly, I can get people very often to reply to a text more quickly and they're thankful for it instead of, you know, more email. So those are my core tools. Obviously I use a lot of zoom getting video meetings together and I'll give a huge shout out to, there's a tool called fathom it's fathom.video. I interviewed the CEO just cause I love this thing and it allows you to in a very detailed fashion, annotate your Zoom calls and sync it to your CRM and export it for you know writing proposals and stuff. So my workflow in order to deliver intelligence up the chain and also use it and document my meetings, Fathom on top of Zoom is super powerful. So I highly recommend check out fathom.video. It's the thing that does what I was hoping somebody would do for a very long time and I never got what I wanted until I found that tool. So that's about it though. You know, I keep it simple. I run virtually everything in a Chrome instance. If you don't understand Chrome profiles, look at that because you can separate the different aspects of, of your life there. I can't even remember Zite. I think they call it now. It used to be cloud app, really great tool for capturing quick screenshots. I use a lot of loom calls or loom videos so I can deliver a Q and a, you know, asynchronously around the world. So. Yeah, those are my tools for small companies. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think they're also very important in the enterprise world. I like the way you sort of say, oh, these are the scenarios and these are the tools. And, you know, in the spirit of some marketing loop, I also think that they are very useful for marketers as well. Marketer, don't listen here and say, oh, it's just mentioning the salesy tools. No. They are useful in marketing. I am saying that from personal experience, not just with Jake, but many other revenue leaders out there. And that's awesome. Honestly, Lynch, it's been amazing talking to you today. I've learned so much. There were a couple of things I expected to say, which you didn't disappoint. <laughs> and I'm glad that again, listeners and viewers had the chance to learn a lot from a very seasoned and efficient marketing leader like you. Where can our marketers find you if they need like help, you know, implementing strategies or sales enablement ideas? I am mostly on LinkedIn, David Ledge, Ledgerwood. You can search me out there and I interview lots of different B2B leaders on the leaders of B2B podcast. So if you follow me on LinkedIn, you will see all kinds of interesting snippets of marketers and salespeople and executives and founders and, you know, consummate learner and, you know, big fan of podcasting there as well. I don't do as much writing as I would like. So you can definitely check me on those channels and I'm always happy to have dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. That's all for today, guys. Thanks for listening. See more episodes at dotslovesmarketing.com and subscribe to the Marketing Leadership Podcast on Apple and Spotify. Till next episode, connect the dots.
Thank you for listening to the Marketing Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. There will be links to any resources mentioned in today's show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing to grow, develop podcast campaigns, or a marketer looking to build and drive effective B2B content marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com.